Well, this story about the prodigal son follows two other stories that Jesus tells. And all of them focus on the theme of recovering what is lost, recovering what is really deeply precious. In one instance, a shepherd leaves 99 sheep to go and find one wandering one. In another one, a woman who has 10 coins and dropped one of them in her house spends the whole night sweeping it until she finds that one lost silver coin. Jesus tells these stories to some Pharisees who are grumbling because they don't like the way that Jesus hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. They resent him prioritizing those people over, you know, the devout, godly people like themselves. To them, it's really a disgraceful waste of time. In the most basic way, the story of the prodigal son is about God's prioritization of finding and restoring lost people. And by lost, I don't just mean geographically lost. I mean messed up people who are headed the wrong way, people who are doing damage to themselves and, of course, to all those around them, people who are not living tidy, responsible lives. God is terribly concerned about such people. In fact, nothing tops his concern for saving such people at all cost. And the stories show us more than God's deep concern over lostness. They reveal the joy of God when one such lost person is found and restored. The shepherd calls together his friends as soon as he gets home with his exhausted little sheep on his shoulders. When the woman finds her coin, she invites her friends over saying, Rejoice for me, with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. And then Luke quotes Jesus saying, Just so, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. How marvelous this is to know about our God. When the father sees his wayward son returning, he runs to him embraces him, gives him a ring for his finger, the finest robe, and sandals and throws a fantastic party. These stories dispel any wrong notion we might have of a frowning, sanctimonious God. Jesus reveals our Heavenly Father to be ridiculously quick to forgive, absurdly ready to give us back all our precious status as beloved and entrusted. And what good news that is, if you have ever been lost, or if you find that you are lost right now, or if there is someone very, very dear to you who is lost. It means that right now, God is already searching for that person. I mean, metaphorically speaking, since, of course, he knows exactly where they are. But he is not just passively drumming his fingers. 
he is on the move, like the diligent shepherd, the competent diligent shepherd. Now, having reflected a bit on the lost ones and the diligent loving finder, I want to turn our attention for a moment to the seemingly not lost, the nine coins still in the woman's pocket, the 99 sheep still obediently in their pen, the older brother who has been dutifully working the farm while his younger brother was out being irresponsible. After all, Jesus tells these stories as a warning for the grumbling Pharisees and scribes. They are the older brother, and apparently they are in great spiritual danger. In the story, the older brother is furious about the celebration because it is so extravagant. Meanwhile, he'd been perfectly obedient, doing everything right, never leaving his father's house. But of course, the irony is that at the end, he is not, in fact, in his father's house. His father's trying to coax him in. And we wonder, after all those years of doing good, what is keeping him outside? And of course, it is his anger, his bitterness, his disappointment. And these are very dangerous temptations, really just as dangerous as that flashy, dissolute living exemplified by the younger brother. One way to look at the older brother is as a representative of the struggles of the mature disciple. The spiritual challenges of the second half of life look rather different than the spiritual challenges of youth. While the younger brother is tempted by prostitutes and reckless living, you know, the fiery temptations that make for binge-watching on Netflix, the older brother has to contend with disappointment, tiredness, boredom, frustration, and resentment. Henry David Thoreau said that youth gets together his materials to build a bridge to the moon, but at length the middle-aged man concludes to build a woodshed with them. And that downgrading of aspirations, well, it can be tough to digest. And the fact is that a bitter, disappointed, and unforgiving heart is just as much an obstacle to relationship with God as any of the fiery, reckless sins. But it is the common spiritual ailments of the Christian who is well on his or her way. The challenge of mature discipleship is to do the good thing for the right motive, which is, of course, gratitude. And that demands mellowness of heart. Acquiring a mellow heart is the spiritual task of the mature disciple. And it is a great challenge. And it is tied to God's economy of forgiveness. 
quoting Catholic writer Ronald Rollheiser, as we age, we need to forgive. Forgive those who hurt us, forgive ourselves for our own mistakes, forgive life for having been unfair, and then forgive God for seemingly not having protected us. All of this so that we do not die bitter and angry, which is perhaps the greatest religious imperative of all. Rollheiser, of course, frames this from the negative side, from the so-we-do-not side, which, of course, is just like Jesus when he tells that parable of the prodigal son. He leaves us with that man bitter and angry outside his father's house so that we might think to ourselves, I don't want to end up there. But thanks be to God, that does not need to be you and me. Jesus gave his life for us so that we would live as forgiven, cherished people. Those words in uh, Corinthians about us being entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are living as a forgiven, cherished people, as those who have been found and forgiven and restored, and that is the source, ultimately, of our ability to forgive and live with gratitude. You know, if we could write a second ending, which maybe seems presumptuous since Jesus is the author of the first one, but if we were to write a second ending, we could imagine that that father would be saying to his son, all that I have is yours, but this work that we are doing together, it is terribly costly, probably way more costly than you even understood, you know, when we began. It's terribly costly. In fact, it's going to involve you giving up your very life. It's going to involve you picking up your cross daily. But you will not do it alone. I will send someone to do it with you. And even though it will look like you are giving up everything faithfully, it is the way that you will gain everything of value. It is the way that you will find the true joy of your life. Amen.